How are we doing today? Everybody good? Yes. It is a good day. My name is uh, Chris, and I am the, the lead pastor here at One Community Church, and so thankful uh, that you are here. If this is your first day uh, here with us, um, you're jumping in and on a great Sunday. We not only um, have some a, a chilly lunch right after the service, but um, also, if you're a first-time guest, we have a gift for you. Um, I want to meet you right after the service. I've got a gift for you, uh, some nice coffee, uh, gift card, and also a book that we give away. But we're thankful uh, that you're here. We've been in this um, study um, in the book of Ephesians, and we have entitled this study Masterpiece in Progress. And what we mean by that is that this is a work that, that God himself is doing. We're talking about the church. That is God's work. And really, the book of Ephesians, it's about God's church. And so I want to give a little bit of an overview in chapters one through three before we jump in chapter four uh, today. Uh, the first week that we gathered, we saw that the church is God's masterpiece. We saw that in chapter two, verse 10. And we understand that this is not our work. Us gathering here is not necessarily our work. It is God's work. We are, we are his masterpiece. We are also, uh, we saw the first week that we gathered that God has a plan, and that plan is to change the world through the church. That's, that's why we're a masterpiece, because literally he's given a call to us, the church, to change the world through the church. We saw that in chapter 1, uh, verse 10 of Ephesians. Uh, then the following week, we talked about how the church, it, it changes the world as it displays death to life. You who have come to faith in Christ are a miracle. You've gone from death to to life, and what the Bible it means by that is you who were once separated from God, you were spiritually dead through Christ, have been made spiritually alive as you've been connected through God through His sacrifice, through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And that is a miracle that you have gone from death to life as you've put your faith in Him. We saw that in chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. And those that have done that, you have an amazing testimony to share with others. We also have seen that the church changes the world as it displays a different community. We're talking about a different type of community that is here in the church. It's different than what we see elsewhere in the world. It's much more than just people living better. It's much more than people just doing better, becoming a, a better version of yourself. Really, this different community is about a transformed people by Jesus. That's the type of community that we're talking about. It's something that we cannot reach on our own. We can't just simply muster up enough strength to be a better people. No, this is about being transformed into being the people that God has created us to be. That's what the gospel is all about. And when we come together, we are a different community than what the world itself even has to offer. And then last week, as we came together, we saw Paul saying to us through the letter to the Ephesians, do not be discouraged as your earthly circumstances do not define you. He has written this letter from prison in Rome, and he doesn't see himself defined as a Roman prisoner. Instead, he says over and over again, even today, he will say that he is a prisoner of Christ, a prisoner of the King Jesus he understands that God has a great plan for his life, even though he is in prison. And he understands that God has a great plan for us as well. He understands also that the power of God is within him and in the church and is greater than any power that he is currently facing. 
any power of evil that we may even face as a church. He also encourages the church to not be defined by earthly circumstances because God has given you a boldness, a boldness despite any circumstances that we find ourselves in. And so we come to Ephesians chapter 4 today, and we're going to be studying verses 1 uh, through 16. And this is a turning point in the letter. Up until this point, all the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians have been just like the groundwork, the way to think about the world, the foundation of how to see the world, how to see the church. And now in verses 4, 5, and 6, the second part of the letter to the church at Ephesus, he is saying, this is how you should now live because of who you are that we saw in the first three chapters. So we move into some very practical things over the next few weeks that we'll be studying uh, this letter together that is written to the small church gathering in Ephesus in such a major city in the ancient world. So I'm going to invite the scripture reader to come and to read today Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 16. Micah is going to come, and as he gets set at this microphone, uh, I'm going to pray uh, for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in it, it is the power to change lives to transform lives as we read about you and the gospel, your work for us. And so I pray that in this moment, that you would just rest our hearts, that you would quiet all of the voices that seek to compete, even our own flesh, that in this moment is, is maybe trying to distract. God, I pray that we would hear from you, that we would listen, and we would obey. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with love with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying, he ascended. What does it mean? But he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the flesh and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, with when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Sarah and I, we, we met a couple outside of uh, OneCo um, just this past week who had a five-month-old baby. Um, I've discovered that in some ways, you don't want your baby to grow up, 
But as they were talking, I have discovered in some ways you can't wait for your baby to grow up, even if it is just for a few weeks. And so um, they mentioned that at five months, our, our Macy is four months, but at five months, uh, they mentioned that uh, she will begin to sleep more throughout the night and take longer naps throughout the day. And we cannot wait. So we cannot wait for five months. Give us two more weeks, right? Give us two more weeks. Hopefully, that will be our story. We had a great weekend. We went out into the community to the, um, to the family Halloween uh, party, and uh, we were dressed as M&Ms. Um, and uh, I, didn't do, I didn't know at the time um, that it was a, there was a contest going on. And, uh, and so we would have really went for it if we knew there was a contest. Um, next year, though, it's happening. We're going to win. Um, but, but she still looked great. Um, and, of course, you know, you see, you see her in outfits like this. And you're like, I don't want you to grow up. Stay this size forever. We love this. But then you're thinking, 30 more minutes of sleep. Oh, I want you to grow up at least two more weeks, right, and get there. So um, as we come um, to, to chapter 4 here, we see Paul. He's touching on maturity in Christ. He's taken so long to, over the past three chapters, really to, to help the church in Ephesus understand who they are, but now he's wanting them to, to grow up in maturity, to, to take steps where they are maturing. And we see in verse 13 that the, the growing in maturity is measured, why? By the stature of Christ. That's how it's measured. And so they got a ways to go to to get to be where Christ is as a church. And he's wanting them to take steps along the way to grow in maturity. And so as we jump into this text today, we understand that Paul is talking about what it means to be a mature, healthy church that is growing. And it is important to understand that God is the same calling even for us today. He wants one community church, to be a church that is healthy and growing. And there is some personal responsibility in all of it. But how do we get there? I think we can see this as we begin to break down these 16 verses together. I'll begin in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. It says, Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Paul begins this part of the letter talking about maturity by opening up with this idea of spiritual unity. There is a oneness that leads to maturity in Christ. And the first thing that we see in this oneness is this idea of the same calling that we have been given that we are to walk worthy in. We see this in verse 1 when he says, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received. Now, of course, when we, we read this, we understand that he's writing to a church. Primarily, he is talking to this church in Ephesus about their calling. I urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received. This is not simply just an individual calling. This is a calling that he has given to the church. And so there is a a unity. There There is a oneness in their calling. As he speaks to them, we saw this in verse 1. 
of verse 10 in chapter 1. He says to the church, as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. This right time that Paul is talking about is the season of the church. And so the calling then that we are to walk worthy of and, and to walk in, unified in, is a calling of bringing everything together in Christ. There has to be a unity around this calling that the picture of the church is to announce to the world that there is a rightness with God that we can have in Christ. As we come to him, we must understand that we are to be reconciled to this God. We are to be reconciled to him and to share in this oneness that is in Jesus. And what happens in that is that then we get reconciled to one another. This oneness spills over into the church, doesn't it? This unity spills over into the church. As we are one with God, we become one with each other. It's something that's a mystery to the world in some ways, but it is the gospel that has been made clear and been made known to us. This oneness this of our calling that we have to be one in Christ and one with one another. Though it is primarily given to the church, there is a responsibility, an individual responsibility that each of us has to seek this unity, to seek what is our unified calling. That's why we say we are together on mission. Our mission is to be together and to go out and to proclaim who Christ is and that we can be together with God. We have a oneness in calling. Not only that, we also see in verses 2, and three, that we have a oneness in the way that we live our lives. There's a unity in the way that we should be living our lives. It says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. To grow in maturity, we must lead. We must lead with humility, gentleness. This isn't timidity. This isn't, um, meek, this isn't weakness. This is being self-controlled. We must lead with humility, gentleness, and patience. You cannot make church all about you. When that happens, we often lead with pride. We often lead with being aggressive. We often lead with being impatient people. This gathering, this body of believers, it is about you, but it's not all about you. It has to be about us. It has to be about us with God. And the way that we get there is that we live like Jesus, walking with humility, gentleness, and patience in our lives and with one another. That's the type of maturity that Paul is asking for this church in Ephesus, and it's the same type of maturity that I believe that God is asking for us as well, that we would walk in a unified picture of what it looks like to live worthy of the calling that we have received. We also see in verses 4 and 6 this oneness in a gospel confession. It says, 
chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that you're calling, one Lord and one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. When we hear the word confession, we, we often, or at least I often, think about someone confessing to a crime or something they did, right? I come home from work and I see that on the rug there is a pee spot, now, sure, there's a few people that could maybe have done this, but if you look at our dog's face, there is a confession on her face. She knows she's in trouble, right? That's what we think about when we think about confession, or at least maybe the first thing that we think about. But what Paul is getting at here with this particular confession is a unified belief around religious doctrine. There should be a unity, a oneness in what we believe as a church. It doesn't mean that we have to agree upon everything, but we need to agree about what's important, those primary things and those things that pertain to the gospel and that pertain to following Jesus and what the Bible clearly says. There should be a a unity, a a oneness in going after right thinking about Jesus and the Bible together. We should be unified around those things. It's also important to note that Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6, is not teaching unity at any cost. That's not the primary thing about the church. It's not just unity at any cost. It is a, a unity in the confession of Christ. It's all about Jesus. And if we get the Jesus part wrong for the sake of unity, then we haven't gone after the unity that Jesus is talking about. It matters what we believe. It matters what the Bible says. It matters that we as a church who are trying to grow in health and trying to be a mature church, that stepping into our calling and walking worthy of the calling that we have received, it matters that we would be a people that seek to understand what the Bible says and the important things that we believe together about Jesus and following him. Here we see this oneness. This goes on to say one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's seven times that we see the word one mentioned. There's something beautiful about seven in the Bible. We see an idea of something that is holy and perfect. There's something here about this confession that is holy as well. As we see the word one over and over again, it's also a pretty good name, as I've said it before, for a church to understand what it means to come together and to be unified. However, I want you to hear this. Unity does not mean uniformity. Oneness does not mean sameness. And Paul makes this clear in the next few verses as he he talks about diversity. And he talks about diversity in a way that is much deeper than cultural or ethnic diversity. He talks about diversity in a way that's much more deeper than just Jew and Gentile. He's talking about how we are wired, who we are as people. It's that type of diversity that we should be thinking about as we jump into verses 7 through 12, understanding that we, growing as a mature church, are not just called 
to be unified, but we're also called to be diverse. It says this in verses 7 through 12. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to the people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? Now, just so that we're clear on what is going on with the the lower parts of the earth, it's really a fancy way of Paul saying the earth um, in his understanding of of what we see in the world. And so he could have just said descended to the earth. The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Now, verse 8, as I was referencing, when it says, he ascended on high, he took the captives, captives, he gave gifts to the people, is actually a reference to Psalm 68, where we read this together during our call to worship. It's a victory psalm. And it talks about coming back from war. Historically, it was typically after a significant military victory to bring back a variety of spoils from the war. And here, we see in this text, having triumphed over sin, death, hell, and the grave, Jesus, our Savior, he, he gave to his church a variety of gifted people that they may uniquely minister to his church. The people, by God's grace, are the gifts. You are a gift by God's grace to the church. You have put your faith in Christ, are a gift to his church. In other words, Paul is saying that people who have received this grace, they themselves are making the church diverse by the gifts that they bring to the church. To grow in maturity, we must, we must see that all of us, we play a role in our gifts and who we are, how God has wired us. Verse 16, let's skip down there for a moment. It says, from him, the whole body Fit, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. There is a need for you to be here, a part of this church. We need people that are diverse in how they are wired and who they are and who God has created them to be so that we can then come together and be a healthy church. We need you. You think about the, the nervous system in the human body. There are seven parts to the nervous system. If one of those parts were to break down, how would you feel? Not pretty good, right? If two of those parts were to, to break down and not work with the entire body, you'd be pr- feeling pretty, pretty horrible and you might be in the hospital right? Should be. If three of those parts of the nervous system were to break down, you're probably not going to live. It's, it's necessary that all of those parts work together 
for your body to work. That's what Paul is getting at here. There's a need for you. For us to get to that place of maturity and health, there's a need for you to be a part of the church that Jesus has bled and and died for. There is a unity for sure, but there's also a diversity as you bring who God has wired you to be to the church. So I want to break this down for a moment. Verses 11 through 12, I want to read this and then let you see some of the diverse roles that Jesus has given the church. It says, and he, Jesus, himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. I want to take a moment just to rest in each of those gifts that are given to the church, because I think sometimes we just read right past that. And I think it's important to understand what, are, what, is the, what is the point of listing out each of these for the church? The first one there is the apostle. And we often think about you know, you know, um, Paul himself as a great apostle. And we understand that he's an apostle with a capital A because he has met with the risen Lord. We get that. But the gift of apostle goes beyond just Paul. The understanding of the word apostle is one who is sent and extends. The apostle is the most responsible person to activate, develop, and protect the missionary sentness of the church. They have a catalytic influence, often playing the role of entrepreneur and who is also at the forefront of new ventures. I would think that hopefully starting a new church that some of us are gifted as an apostle, starting new things, starting new ministries, the one who is sent and extends. The prophet is one who questions and reforms. Prophets, they are, they are sensitive to God and what is important to him. And they often have a sense of what truth needs to be emphasized for their time and place. I think about the prophet as the, the yeah, but people. <laughs> yeah, we're doing this, but is there a reason? <laughs> yeah, we talk about all this stuff, but do we see this over here? We talk about being a missional church, but are we missing this need right here? The prophet often is saying things that need to be said. Sometimes people don't want to hear it. (laughs) Jesus said a prophet, or said about Jesus, a prophet isn't even accepted in his own hometown, right? Prophets have a hard job, but a necessary job to speak life into the church as they are sensitive to God and what is important to him. An evangelist is mentioned here as well. This is one who recruits and gathers. Evangelists communicate the message of the good news in joyous and infectious ways. They are avid communicators of ideas and often share their thoughts and feelings in convincing ways. You you see people with the gift of evangelism all the time, and it's not just around sharing the good news of the gospel. You know, if you have someone in your life that is addicted to all Apple products, they are probably a good evangelist of Apple and telling you why you should buy everything Apple. And I've got an iPad and Apple Watch, and I might be in that camp. They, they 
say it with convincing rhetoric. They are joyous. Jesus has gave the gift of the evangelist to the church as well. That person that just seems to gather people well. That person that's always inviting people in to be a part of. We need those people in our church. They're an important part of our church. The shepherd is the one who protects and pastors. Pastor shepherd is kind of an interchangeable term there. Shepherd is the one who protects and pastors that he provides. Shepherds have a natural instinct to protect the community from danger and provides for its needs on both an individual and communal level. There is for sure a responsibility that I share as a shepherd of the church to, to provide for safety for the community. But there are other shepherds in the church that do this as well, that are given to the church to ensure that community is experienced as a, as a safe and loving environment, giving their ministry as a distinctly communal focus. Those people just care about the community and are, are going to protect, they're going to provide. We need shepherds in our midst for sure. Teacher, one who understands and explains. And teachers, they find great satisfaction in helping people learn truth and wisdom. They ensure that truths of Scripture are passed along from generation to generation. You may be one who is gifted in just explaining things. That's how you're wired. You need to be part of the church. We need you. We need you talking about Scripture in a way that it makes sense for us. There is the gift of the teacher. We need you in our church. What is all this for? We, we saw it in verse 12, didn't we? Verses 11 and 12, and it gets to the part where it says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. These gifts, these apest gifts, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, the teacher, the, the apest acronym there for these gifts is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ so that we can be a healthy and mature church that is stepping into our calling that we have received from Jesus himself. You are a gift to the church, and God has wired you to be a gift to the church. Maybe you want to look a little bit more into the, these APES things, and so um, we've actually created a little bit of a document for you. Um, if you go to our Instagram, you can go on our bio, you can see a document there uh, about APES. I think there's even a test that you can take within that, that document um, to see kind of where your giftings may lie, but they are important. And it is a need for us to understand who we are and how Jesus has gifted us to help the church grow in maturity. So what happens for us if we achieve unity, if we achieve diversity in the church? We come to verses 13 through 16. I just want to read this for us. We go after unity, we go after diversity until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into mature maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, Tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. For him, the whole body, that's the church, 
fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for the building itself up in love by the proper work of each individual part. Verse 14 says that we will no longer be little children. January 16th, 2022, we launched as one community church. We started a brand new church. And let me just tell you, that took a lot of work. It was really three years in the making in a lot of ways. And we finally did it. We launched a church that meets every week and gathers together for worship, has small groups, and does mission and all that, right? God wants more. God wants us to move towards maturity by becoming one together and also understanding the power of our diverse gifting to the church. We grow in maturity when we find ourselves as a church and as a people standing firm in his calling that he has given to us. And I want to encourage you just to take the next step personally. What does it look like for you? There's a personal responsibility in all of this. You know, um, our little four-month-old Macy, this past week we celebrated a, a milestone for her. Um, she was on the floor and she um, doing tummy time, and then she rolled over. It's a big moment, right? We know what that leads to. Soon-ish, <laughs> she'll be crawling, right? Looking forward to that, I think. Um, looking forward to that. And then crawling will lead to, to walking. Hopefully next Halloween, she'll be walking in an award-winning costume um, at the community Halloween party. And then we also know that walking will eventually lead to running, right? <laughs> and we might have to run after her. Maybe she slow down, right? We're, uh, don't get too far ahead of us now, right? Now, we're not asking Macy to run right now. That, that would be a little, a little bit improper, would it not? We're not asking her to run. We're not even asking her to crawl right now. We're just helping her roll over. Let me ask you, what is your next step? It may not be running just yet. What does it look like just to roll over <laughs> Maybe to crawl, or maybe it is to run. And Paul, he mentions here in this letter to the Ephesians in verse 13, he says, until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. Until we. This is Paul, the great apostle, who started church after church after church. He didn't say until you. He said we. We all are still growing and maturing in our faith in Christ, even Paul, until we. All of us have a step that we should be taking. I want to invite the band to come to the stage, and they're going to begin playing, and I want us to prepare for... Um, listening to the Holy Spirit again, but in doing so, I just want to make a shameless plug. Um, 
for some, it may be to, to join and be, become a member here at One Community Church. And I want to invite you to think about that. Um, next week, um, after the service, um, we're going to have a, a membership class. And all that simply means is that you get to hear about what uh, the church is about. And so you're not committing to becoming a member or anything like that. It's just coming and diving a little bit deeper and understanding who we are as a church. And so I want to invite you. We're going to provide some lunch um, so you can be a part of that. So we got chili this time for you. If you want to be a part of the class next Sunday, we got food for you as well. Um, but please, uh, RSVP for that um, by checking in with me um, and let me know you're going to be there so we can plan for you to be there. Uh, but I want to take a moment just for you to take a posture of prayer this morning as we come before him. I want to ask a couple of questions as we listen to the Holy Spirit and what he might be saying to us. Let him maybe answer these questions with you. How are you walking worthy of the calling that you have received? He has been faithful to you. How are you walking worthy in faithfulness to him? You've also received grace. Know that? Secondly, where are you discovering oneness with the church, unity with the church? What does that look like in your life? To discover oneness here, even at one community church. Thirdly, how has God uniquely positioned you as a gift to the church? How are you a gift? How is he positioning you to use that gift to to build up the church? We can grow in maturity so we can go after our calling so that we can be together on mission. And finally, what is your next step in growing in him? We all have a step to take. And what is yours? We thank you, Jesus, for how good you are that we get to be a part of your work. Thank you that we get to, to run after you. And some of us are just beginning to turn, maybe just starting to crawl. We thank you that you make a way for us to come after you. Not only that, you help us get there by walking with us. I pray these moments we would just make much about you as we continue to lift up your name and continue to worship you. May we be a church that is unified in you, but is also diverse in who you've called us to be. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.